Next week, I will be starting a new series, and uh, I'm, I'm, my intent, my intent is to go through the book of 1 John. I figure I better stick with a small book. Uh, I don't want to preach through the Psalms, uh, but <laughs> 1 John, uh, ne- next week we'll go through all five chapters in the weeks to follow. But right now we're in uh, Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. Paul, writing to the, church, the churches of Rome, the Christians of Rome, rather, says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." Let us pray. Father, we are reminded in your word that uh, in John's epistle, he says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And Father, we know that this world is, is influenced and energized by, uh, by demonic creatures. Lord, Satan's a prince of the power of the air. But Lord, you are the king of glory. And all things are subject to you. And Father, we ask today, Lord, I ask today that in this message say that you would be given the honor and the glory that's due you. In Christ's name, amen. When I began this series of sermons in, in Romans 1, 2, and 3 several weeks ago, uh, it, it became obvious from the, uh, from the very beginning that the Apostle Paul was, uh, has been painting a picture in a manner of speaking of the, of the sinfulness of humanity. Uh, he tells us that we are sinners, that we're depraved, we stand condemned. And all through Romans 1, 2, and 3, uh, you, we are reminded that over and over again, he just hammers at home that we are a, a bunch of sinners. And, uh, and you, feel, you, you feel miserable reading that because... It's over and over and over again. He, he goes list after list and person after person and, and ethnicity after ethnicity, the fact that all of humanity is sinners. But now he comes to uh, verse 21 in chapter 3. And here we find that, uh, that he, he begins this, this, this change of course, a change of attitude. And, and, and his mind is not focused so much on the fact of we are sinners, but now he begins to look at, he begins to look at this, and, it's, and he brings in a bunch of theological words that we're going to talk about them, but he begins to look at it that there is, that there is hope in the horizon. You know, you see light at the end of the tunnel, tunnel and you realize that it is not a train, that there is really some hope out there, and that's the picture that Paul paints for us. So when we look at this, uh, it doesn't say that, that uh, you know, when he paints this, this picture that there's hope out there. Uh, by that, I, I, I'm, I don't want to say that we are not now sinners. 
but we now have a way out of our bondage to sin. And in these verses, we, we, we find words that, that bring hope, and these words are such things as righteousness, faith, justification, propitiation, and redemption. We're going to look at some of these words, because those are words that offer hope to us. Instead of saying, hey, you bunch of depraved, condemned people, he gives us these words that make you feel good. So these verses and, 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 the, and, the, and the words that I gave, but he gives us in this, in this third, passage, third chapter, uh, is a message of calm in the midst of, of, of spiritual crisis. Uh, for example, we find in, in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, we, we find that, hope, that we're, we're, we're hopeless, but in verse 21, we find that we're hope. In chapters 1 through 3 and, and up through verse 20, we find sinfulness, but in verse 21, we find salvation. In chapters 1 through chapter 3 and verse 20, we find abandonment and reprobation, but in verse 21, we find acceptance through our mediator, Jesus Christ. So things begin to turn, and, and you start to feel good about what Paul's saying, and and uh, all, that, all that was heaped upon you now is kind of being lifted from your shoulders. So in our text for today, in Romans 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 21 through 26, we, we, we have a commentary. There, there's a verse of Scripture in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that, uh, that, we always, that we oftentimes quote. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. And, you know, that passage is there, but if you're ever looking for a wonderful commentary on that, that, that defines it, that you'll find it in these verses, 21 through 26 of chapter 3. These verses are a wonderful commentary in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So let's take a look at our text. And, and as we look at this text, you'll see what Paul does, and, and he elevates us from the very pits of hell to the very throne of heaven. Uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in verse 21, he begins by saying, the righteousness, of, the righteousness of God has been manifested. That means the righteousness of God has been, has been shown, has become evident to us. Uh, under, the, under the law, things are dull and gloomy. You know, anytime you hear about the law of God in the Bible, uh, it is a law that was so, so much burden was put on the individual because the law said this, you, have, you need to do this, 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 and this, that you must, if you don't do that, you are a sinner. So all the law ever did was saying, this is what God commands, this is what God demands of you, if you don't do that, you're a sinner. And guess what? Everybody had fallen short of what God demanded. Everybody. There is not a single person that's ever lived that kept all of the law. There are over 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613. And if you want to be perfect, you've got to keep all of them. We have trouble keeping the 10 that God gave us right now. In fact, we have trouble keeping one. So how would you keep 613 of them? The righteous of God has been manifested. And that means that that dull and gloomy law that was out there, it has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Not that the law was bad, the law was good. But the people who had the law 
were not good. So to them it was a burden. We can't, we can't do this. But in Christ the law has been fulfilled and the blessings of the gospel have come to fruition. We see, we see something new on the horizon. It's just like Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16. It says the people that were seated in darkness have seen a great light. And the light has dawned upon the world because when Jesus Christ came, then the gospel appeared. And we're going to talk about what the gospel is here in just a little bit. It's, it's a lot more than what we think. But we're going to talk about the gospel and what it means to us and how, how we receive the gospel and who the gospel is intended for. Our justification, when you read the word justification, you can think of right standing or righteousness. It all means the same thing. Justification, righteousness, right standing. It means the same thing. That we have this right standing. We are justified before God. And that only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Because we are sinners. We are sinners, Paul's saying. That's what he's been saying for chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. We are sinners, but then there's justification for us found in the person of Jesus Christ. And we want to find out how we can become justified in Christ. And that's what Paul is going to tell us. Now then, we, we need to understand that in our being justified before God, there is no contribution that you or I could possibly ever make that is based upon what we do. I've heard it before. I'm sure you've heard it before. I'm sure that somebody's told you this before. Something that goes like this. The devil has voted, or God has voted for you. God has voted for you. The devil has voted against you. Now it's your turn to vote. You ever hear anything like that? God's for you. The devil's against you. Now you decide. Folks, that is theologically impossible. That doesn't ever, that's not, it's not in Scripture. It's like I got this good angel here and I got this bad angel over here and they're whispering in my ears and, and uh, whatever, you know. Or I got this, one, these two dogs inside of me and they're arguing with each other and growling at each other and the one I feed the most. When, folks, that's not in the Bible. It's not like, well, the devil wants me to do this and God wants me to do this and I got to decide which one. You know what the Bible says about you and I? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. No, 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 no bad devil, good God, and me deciding. It says that we're dead in our, that we are going to, by nature, by nature, we are going to do the wrong thing. So, all of salvation all of justification. It is all a solo work of God. The theological term is monergistic. That God works alone. Monergistic. God works alone in our salvation. We are the recipients. Listen, you and I are the recipients of grace, not the contributors for grace. We contribute nothing when it comes to God extending grace. We offer nothing. So we come to verse 22, and we, have, we find this phrase, through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, do you recall that what we had in, in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 up through verse 20? In a sentence or two, we've learned that in and of ourselves, we are not able, that we are, we are not able due to sin, able to approach God. In fact, we read in Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those, who are, that is, those, those people who are without Christ, those people who are without Christ, those people who are lost, cannot please God. So then the question is, if we are on our own, on our own will, are, are not able to, if we on our own will are not able to come to God, then by what faith, by what faith are we able to go to Him? Here's another misconception. People say, well, I need, God, God extends His grace and I need to exercise my faith. Listen to what we're thinking. God extends His grace. I need to exercise my faith. If I am dead in sin, if there is nothing in me that contributes to my salvation, what faith am I exercising? It is like the man who's laying in a coffin. And, and, and you say to me, he says, Guy, if you just had faith, you'd get up out of that thing. Now, if that happens, I'm leaving. Because he's not going to get up. But what if, what if some power came along and breathed into this man life? What if something came along and put life back into that dead body? Then he could exercise what life he had to get up out of that coffin, couldn't he? And you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God did something to us that enabled us to come to Christ, to come to life. God did, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And now God did something that made us come alive again, alive to God. So we're going to find out what that is in a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, uh, what I want to do with this verse, I've, I've used this before, but I want to divide this into, into two portions for, for us today. In Ephesians 2, 8, the first part of Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Now, the problem is when we say that verse, oftentimes people will read just that half of it and will stop. That's not enough. To say that, for by grace you've been saved through faith. What that tells us is this, is that, is that the, 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 the ground, the ground of, of, of our salvation, what our salvation is founded upon is God's grace. That grace, grace is the ground. It's the foundation of our salvation. And everybody understands that. But they say, but then the other part is, by grace... You've been saved through faith. And oftentimes people think, well, God, God has administered the grace, and now I need to do my part. I need to do my part and administer my faith. There's nothing there. Because they've, they've taken that first part of Ephesians 2.8, and they forgot the last part of it. 
they're They're not interpreting the Scripture properly. The last part of it is, the, is, is as important as the first part of it. If there's going to be proper interpretation, let's have proper interpretation of it. In the last part of Ephesians 2, it says, And that not of yourselves, listen, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. The word that is, is a key word because what, what does that refer to? That word that that not of yourselves, is in reference to what? In Greek syntax, in in proper grammar, that word that has to have an antecedent noun. Let me explain what that is. It has to have a noun in front of it that is of, of, if, if the word that is neuter, okay, the gender, male, female, and then there's neuter. That is not, is neither male nor female, it is neuter. The word that has to have the noun preceding that word is called the antecedent noun. The antecedent noun. The noun before it is the word faith. The first noun before the word that in that sentence is the word faith. It has to be neuter. Guess what? Faith is not neuter. What is it? It's feminine. We say, well, let's go to the word before that. Let's look at the word grace. What is grace? Is it masculine, feminine, or neuter? It is feminine. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What is it? Guess what? The whole process. When you look at grace and faith and you put them together, what do you have when you put grace and faith together? You have salvation. The whole process of salvation is neuter. Salvation itself is neuter. It's neither masculine nor feminine. It is neuter. And it is the antecedent thought before that. Why that is important is simply this, that the grace that God gives you and the faith that God gives you is what leads to salvation. It's not God's grace in your faith. It's not God's grace in my faith. It is God's grace and God's faith that he gives to us. And because God gives that to us and the Holy Spirit works in our lives and the Holy Spirit opens our heart up to hear the gospel and understand the gospel and believe the gospel, it is a work of God. We become the recipients, not the contributors. We become the, recipient, the recipients of God's salvation. And it says, it is a gift of God. So then let's look at another question. Who is is it that receives God's grace and faith so that they can believe? The answer should be obvious. It is those who hear the gospel. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. There is no salvation apart from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel, without Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. None. 
impossible. Let me explain it this way. If we look at the idea of gospel, you know, we think of the gospel and say, well, essentially, according to the scriptures, that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the essence of the gospel. But what are all those things that lead up to that, to that gospel message? Well, let's look at these just real quick. First of all, we need to go all the way back to Genesis. Because Genesis is where the gospel story begins. In Genesis, God created a perfect world. That's what you have in Genesis 1. God creates this perfect world. In Genesis 1.31, God looks at everything. He sees everything is created, and God said it was what? Very good. Very good. But then you come to Genesis 3, and guess what happens? Sin caused by man's disobedience entered the world. And all, the, all of creation, all of creation is affected by it. Because of one man's sin. Death, shame, guilt, and corruption, depravity, all that, all that came in. Because of one man's sin. And we inherit that sin at the time of conception. At the very moment of conception, we inherit that sin. The other part of the gospel is when God saw that, and God, in Genesis 3.15, what did God do? He says, I'm going to send my son, and he is going to, he is going to bruise Satan's head, and Satan will bruise his heel. But that is, that is the, 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 the first excuse me, the first mention of the gospel. The first mention of the good news that there is, there is hope on the horizon. Even though man has sinned, there is hope on the horizon. And Genesis 3.15 spells that out. And all the rest of that Bible, all the rest, from all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation, is a, is a revelation of God through the person of Jesus Christ that God reveals himself more and more and more and more and more until you come to Jesus Christ. And the finished redemptive work of Christ, it is, all, it is all a progressive move to get to Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. God sent his son Jesus into the world to be our Savior, and Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. He died on a cross bearing our sin and the Father's anger towards sin. He bore our sin and he bore his Father's anger towards sin. He died, he was buried, but on the third day... We, we all know this. He arose from the dead, didn't he? He ascended into heaven, and he's promised to come again. And all who have put their trust in him will live in an eternal state with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But why is, the gospel, why is this gospel necessary? Why, why do we have to have a gospel? The answer is found in verse 23. If you look at verse 23, in Romans chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We all come short of God's glory. That's why we need the gospel, because all of us are sinners. So this view gives us a panoramic, a panoramic view of the entire human race. Since we're all sinners, then it is to be understood that all who are to be justified 
all who are going to be justified. That means that you stand righteous, you stand, you stand right before God. All who are going to be justified must do so only by an act of grace on God's part. The only way we can ever be justified is by an act of grace on God's part. If you say, well, all I need to do is be forgiven. No, you don't. You know what forgiveness does? Forgiveness neutralizes you of sin. But it doesn't give you the, the essential ingredient. Forgiveness is absolutely necessary, but there, there's two components to it. Forgiveness and righteousness. That righteousness is, is imputed or counted towards you because of the finished work of Christ. Not that you've earned it, but righteousness is imputed, reckoned, counted towards you because of Jesus Christ. It was administered to Him because He is perfect and not because you are in Him. That perfection that is His is yours in Christ. A sinner is unable to justify himself or herself. Whatever, whatever differences there may be, in us, and there are, every one of us is different. Whatever differences there are in us, in nationality, ethnicity, socially, politically, economically, we're all sinners. There is no distinction, there's no discrimination concerning that. All of us are, are sinners. It says that we all come short of the glory of God. Listen, we come short not because of some action on our part. We, we come short of God's glory not because of something that we did it's a condition of our hearts from the very moment of conception. We fall short from the, at the very moment of conception. I was told when I was a younger, young kid going to school that by the time you reach the age of seven or something like that, that, uh, that you become liable for your sins. Folks, you become liable for your sins the moment of conception. David says, in sin... My mother conceived me. I was conceived with sin. Not her sin, my own sin. It is by God's sovereign act of His grace that brings us to be justified in His sight. So then, how does God come to act in His kindness toward us? How, how, does, he, how does He come to do this? Look again at verse 24. He says, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus... This is a wonderful word. Uh, you know, I, I'm briefly going to touch upon this. But I, I don't have time to do all three of these. There, there are three Greek words for redemption. I want to look at just one of them today because this is the one that really touches us. The word is ex agorazo. And it means to, to purchase out or buy out of the slave market. You were in a slave market. I was in a slave market. And, and, and who owned us? Satan. We were in bondage to sin and death and Satan. We were in a slave market. Years ago, and I, I, I told you this before, I'll tell you again. Years ago when I was a, a, a young, young, young kid, uh, some of you folks remember uh, S&H Green Stamps. I used this story before. S&H Green says, my mom would go out, and if you go to the gas station or a store, and the big thing was S&H Green Stamps, and she would bring the home, and she would have a whole bag full of these things, because whatever you buy stuff, you get, for every dime spent, you get a stamp or whatever it was. 
And, uh, you know, she thought we had to put each stamp in individually, 1,200 of them individually. And when, you, know, you know, you feel like a glue stick when you get done doing that. You take that book of green stamps, and maybe for four or five books, you would go to the green stamp store. You know what that green stamp store was called? The Redemption Center. Literally, you'd go to the SNH Green Stamp Redemption Center, and you would see that toaster, let's say, that toaster sitting on a shelf. And you would take those four or five books of green stamps, and you would say to that person behind the counter, I want that toaster. Here's the four books. Give me that toaster. You purchase that, that toaster belongs to you. It no longer belongs to Spiri Hutchison or SNH, it belongs to you. It is yours. You paid for it. You earned it. You, you worked for it. Whatever you had to do to get it, you got it. It is yours. It'll be yours until you throw it away. Or you can keep it for eternity. It's yours. Jesus Christ went to the redemption center, quote unquote, so to speak. He went there, but he didn't use something green. He used something red. He took his blood and says, that's my person. You are that person on the shelf that were in the, you were in the slave market. And God says, I'm buying that person. I'm redeeming that person. Here is my blood for that person. All the beating. All the battering. All the pain and all the agony, all the shedding of his blood was so that he could go and purchase you. Not that we come along and say, well, I think, I, I think I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Today. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It is God who initiates salvation in your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit, when the gospel is preached, and you hear the message of God, what Jesus did for you, you hear that message in your heart, your heart begins to beat so fast because you realize that you are nothing but a depraved sinner, and you say, God, help me, forgive me. Once that word ex agorazzo is so important to purchase out of the slave market. Once, once, that purchase, once that person is purchased by Christ, we are never, never, never to be subject to be a slave to sin again or to death or to Satan. You're no longer his slave. You belong to Jesus. Jesus paid the price for your redemption and for mine. Look at verse 25. We read, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. I love that word. That's a wonderful halasmus. Propitiation. It goes right along with the word redemption. Redemption would be that Christ has released us. Listen, redemption is Christ has released us from the bondage of sin. And propitiation is it could be understood that Christ has released us from the liability of God's anger. He bore his father's anger. 
God looked at his son Jesus and he saw sin. He was made sin who knew no sin. God the Father looked at his son and his son bore your sin on the cross. And God looked at that and all of God's fury and all of God's wrath and all of God's anger was thrust out toward his son. And Jesus cries out at that very moment, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus felt your sin and my sin. It became his. And in order for him to go to the slave market and buy you, he had to become what you are, a sinner. He was made sin. He was made sin. The God of glory, the God, of, the God who created the God who is holy, the God who is pure, was made sin. He who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Propitiated. A substitute. His place for my place, my place for his place. The word in the Greek is huper, in place of. In place of. Jesus dying on the cross is for you. So that he could buy you. You're purchased by his blood. In a plain way of saying all this, Jesus is both the sin offering that is to redeem and he's the sin bearer. That's to propitiate. He is our substitute. So we, we're coming to the close of the sermon. And it must be made clear to, to all of us that God the Father, listen very carefully, God the Father in no way, in no way was won over to our being favored as recipients of his grace. It isn't like God says, I don't like these people. I want nothing to do with these people. And, he said, and then he says, well, my son died for them. I guess I got to. No, 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 no. That's horrible theology. It wasn't that God was won over. It was God's plan all, all the way. God planned for all this. That, was, that, that I just formed to Scripture. It was all God's plan from the foundation of this world. Acts 2.23, Peter preaching at Pentecost says, this man... He's speaking about Jesus. This man whom you del uh, was, was delivered by the, this man was delivered by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. From the foundation of the world, God had planned to save you through the death of his son. It was a plan of God. When you look at John, uh, John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world. He's talking about the world, not without exception, but the world without distinction, whatever nationality you are, whatever color you are. God so loved all the peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues. Listen, God looked at the world. God looked at the world and says, For God so loved the world. Folks, that goes, that goes, back, that goes back before the foundation of the world. It was his plan to send Jesus. 
It was all God's plan in order that he might bring us to a right standing with him. Those whom he has called to be his saints. Listen to this. We read, I'm going to close with this. We read in Ephesians 2, 7. I love this passage of scripture. I want you to think of yourself in, in a thousand years from now. A thousand years from now, not one, not one of us will be left over here if the Lord tarries his coming. Ephesians 2, 7 says, so that in the ages to come, a thousand, million, billion years from now, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what that means. One of these days, we're going to be standing in glory. We will be in glory. And all the hosts of heaven, all the seraphs, all the cherubs, all all of the angels of glory, will be out there. God did not die for one of them, but he died for you. And we will be prated through, and all, all of the hosts of heaven will look at his church. They will look at his church and say, God died for them. He didn't die for us. He died for them. That's the church. That's the bride. That's whom God loves. That's whom Christ gave his life for, for you. Not because we're a bunch of good people. Not because we're Baptists. Not because we attend church. Not because we're this, that, or anything else. We're all a bunch of sinners headed for hell. But Jesus Christ died for you. And he bought you out of the slave market. And he says, you are mine and you are mine forever. That's what Jesus did for you. My friends, I want to ask you this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? If you do not, listen, if you sense the work of the Holy Spirit in your life right now and He's opened your heart up to believe, it's called regeneration. You know, there's an old Southern Gospel hymn. I don't do much Southern Gospel music, but I know this one. There's an old Southern Baptist hymn, a Southern, Southern Baptist, Southern Gospel hymn. That says, praise the Lord, I saw the light. You know, there's a lot of truth to that because that light is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that what you saw is the Spirit of God regenerating, putting life back into, regenerate to put life back into you. When the electricity goes out, he turns the light back on. Right now, there's no power in us. There's no, there's no spiritual electricity flowing through us, so to speak. But God turns on the light switch. And you say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Folks, do you need Jesus today?